you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. <clears throat> Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Tim Seymour. Tonight on Fast, it's Fang's fall from grace. The once-loved stock's getting wrecked today, but there is one name the traders say is a screaming buy. Plus, TD Ameritrade is going crypto, giving the retail investors what they want. More Bitcoin. TD's head of trading, Steve Quirk, will be here to explain why they're going all in on the crypto universe. But first, we start with the rate shock that sparked today's selling. It is the perfect music. storm <laughs> and scary music. Perfect storm Always. on Wall Street as rates go parabolic, stocks get slammed, the Dow sinking about 350 points at the lows of the day as it looks like Wall Street is finally starting to panic about rising rates. So is there more rate misery ahead? And where do you run for cover? Pete. You know, I'm not a big run for cover guy, but I will say this. I think there's opportunities out there. But you've never created. run for cover in your not life. A, <laughs> not a big cover guy. But, but I would say this. I do, I do think when we hear tomorrow some of the numbers that we get tomorrow, we might have a pretty good chance of seeing that market get pull, pulled back even further once again. Um, today, I the thought, numbers will be good? The It'll numbers will be good. Good news is bad news. Right. right. Good news yeah. is bad news, and we get a bit of a sell-off. We already had some of that today. And maybe we get to the levels that we hit today when we were at the bottom. We were down 360, I think, at the lows. So... I'll tell you what really stood out for me today was the way the volatility just absolutely spiked so fast. I mean, the fact that it went all the way up from 1160 into the upper 15s, that's a pretty big jump. But how long can that last? We've gone through this all year where we get these big spikes, they pull back. Big spikes, they last very short periods of time. So I think that's something that we have to be cognizant of. And I know Karen can speak on that as well. I actually added to financials today. And the reason I did is as we get closer to earnings season, I think the numbers are going to be great. I think they exceed. Obviously, we need the rate environment to slow down. I, if it continues at this rate, I think the whole market, including financials, gets hit. But so I, not, velocity. Running for, not running for cover is probably and it's certainly proven to be right. Um, but I'll tell you what, here's some things that concern me. Uh, not only do we have, I would say, escalation in the trade war rhetoric. And, you know, and you've had, you had trade ministers across Asia last night saying prepare for the worst. Hong Kong told uh, their economy prepare for the worst. You also have we forget that Treasury funding is also part of why rates are going higher. We're, we're going to basically issue two times as much long-term treasuries in 2019 than we did last year. So there's a lot of pressure on rates coming from all over the place, including the European Central Bank. So I don't think that rates necessarily go to 250 overnight, but to expect that rates don't continue to be something that haunts this market. 350, I'm sorry, yeah, yep. 250 would also be scary, um, but, but in a different reasons, way. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I also think we've had spikes before, but they haven't been one-day moves. I mean, I don't see why, with positioning where it is, why you jump into this market. Uh, I guess the most important rate hike to go back and look at was what happened in January. We started the year, the 10-year Treasury yield was at 2.4%. We were very quickly at 2.8%. And that point in late January, that's when U.S. equities, which had this steady march up for a few weeks, really started to think about, okay, what are valuations look like? What are earnings look like? What is in the tank from this tax cut that we just had? What's global, glo uh, global uh, growth look like? Global. And so when you global think about- growth, Dan. Sorry. So when you think about what's going on right now, you know, I think that when we had the Dixie, the dollar index retreat from 95 and a half a few weeks ago, people were like, that's it. It's done. It's going back way lower. So look what just happened here with our rates going higher, the dollar going higher. Now, do we have further pressure on emerging markets? And is that the sort of thing that, again, makes 
U.S. investors think about how important it is for our multinationals to have this global synchronized recovery, which doesn't seem to be in place right now. We are the only place in town that ISM data it looks great. That's why we had this rate. But look at all the other data that we're seeing around the globe. So you it's not fantastic right now. Are you avoiding no. buying? No. Good. You're not running for cover. I mean, so today was just an awful day, P&L wise. But in terms of running for cover, I was selling cover. I don't, I, you know, I own S&P puts for a gigantic spike in the volatility index. So today, as Pete said, it got well north of 15, over 15. Sold that. Sold that. Mm -hmm. I sold. Some. You sold all your puts today in the S&P. Well, I sold lower strikes to make them put you spreads. Yep. To roll them down. Turn into yeah. a spread yeah. pattern. Yeah. So, it's complicated stuff, guys. Watch out for Zaxxon on Friday at 530. <laughs> Nicely done. Thank Thank the you. other thing I did is I sold some TBT calls mm. against my TBT position. That's moved a lot this year. And I think that everyone expects a hot number tomorrow. If it's not super hot, I think maybe we see rates coming even back a little bit. This has been a really quick move. So... You know, I could certainly be wrong, but it just felt to me like that herd of panic. I want to I want to fade. Well, what is a good number tomorrow in the from the viewpoint of the stock market? Oh, boy. You, it, it, yeah, that that's a great question. What are we looking for? At some XL, Pete. Uh, yeah, well, I. Oh, boy. <laughs> what did you no, say? no, it is. I mean, sounded scared. He truly well, is. Yeah. You don't know what you wish for at this point. Right. Almost. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I, that that's the issue. I think either way, I think the velocity. Karen just brought that up. It has been about the velocity of this move right to the upside. So if we see that that starts to slow and we see more consolidation in terms of where the 10 year is, um, Mel, I think that's going to be huge. And I still think, take a look at the way energy reacted today. The, look at the energy stocks, the Exxons, the Chevrons, and some of the big names. They pulled back a little bit, not much. And, and I think that shows you something about when you've got the great fundamentals, you've got the great balance sheets, you've got this great dividend yields that these guys all have. Those are still places that people see as possibilities that I, I think there's more upside. Financials, I feel the same way, especially with earnings coming up next week. We are positioned, though, right now for a massive short-covering rally in the 10-year. I mean, right now, net shorts are at a record high, according to the latest CFTC data. So depending on what tomorrow's number is, yeah. we could see just a snap. Yes, snap but I, I, don't, I, I don't think, again, this is a one- or two-day move. And even though we've moved 40 basis points very quickly on the 10-year uh, and, and people are positioned on the other side, I mean, in other words, to have rates go higher. Um, I don't think people are, are right now positioned with enough fear. And, and that's why I actually look at markets and I think they can continue to drift lower. Um, it doesn't mean there's disaster, but uh, the places that I think will be very defensive here, if you look at what happened today, names like McDonald's and Starbucks and some of the consumer you know, kind of discretionary, but as you got into the, the fast dining, fast casual, I, I totally agree with Pete. I mean, look, the OSX underperformed the S&P for 10% of the last month while oil prices were going higher. One of the reasons why rates is high, are higher is because oil prices are higher. There's a high correlation there. I actually believe that the energy sector is well positioned here going into year end. I think people are under owned. What's defensive in your view, Dan? Well, so going back to the rates, the spread between the two and the 10, mm -hmm. the fact that that widened out a little bit is why you saw that outperformance today in the bank stocks. But it kind of gave up a little bit. So the spread is at 31 bips or something like that. Not like particularly that exciting or whatever. It just leads me to believe. You're ready to rain on the banks, aren't you? Well, I am, right. Yeah. So it leads me to believe. <laughs> I, I'm not, I, I think it's uh, really important to remember a couple weeks ago, we had some Q3 data out of Citigroup and out of JP. Morgan and the banks are not higher from that point. Okay, we had this quick spike and they're lower. So to me, I actually think that the yield curve is going to increasingly get to that inverted point. I know Tony's just going to have at it with us on that one uh, pretty soon. But I just think that that's the thing that keeps banks underperforming the broad market. He kind of introed the guest. It's almost worse than no. buying the guest. Yeah. No, they already promoted him. Sorry. All right. 
not just rising rates that are hitting the markets. Our next guest says two other warning signs have emerged that indicate a correction is here. Canaccord Genuity's Tony Dwyer is over at the Plaza to break it down. Hi, Tony. Well, hey, guys. Hi, Mel. So we've come up with excuses for the last four months of why the market was going to correct. First, it was going to be Turkey. Then it was going to be Brazil. Then it's going to be... Ultimately, what it comes down to is corrections happen when there's excessive optimism and low volatility. We called for this earlier uh, in 2018, right as you were exiting. You had this incredible 7.5% run in January in the first three weeks that nobody expected. And bullishness got really high. You got up to over 60% bulls in investors' intelligence newsletter writers. And I'm kind of finding the same kind of consensus. We've talked about it over recent weeks where you're seeing the same thing where bullish newsletter writers, again, have been over... Uh, they're over 60%. That's just too much. There's too many people that are saying pro-U.S. So when you look at that coupled with low volatility, okay, here we are at the, a historically low level of volatility, the same kind of thing again that we got before that prior move there. And you can see it. You, volatility happens fast, as Pete and Tim and everybody else is talking about. It happens quickly. Again, there's no way I want to be negative or defensive in a market with a fundamental backdrop we have, but there's periods where you can wait to buy the next tick. And I think if you couple the number of bulls at over 60% of newsletter writers and the historically low volatility, I don't think there's any question we could have a little bit more downside here. All right, let's uh, bring Tony back over to the desk here. Tony, nice. Ah, here. nice. Yeah. Let's get some more. Stephanie will bring the chair in. Thank you, Stephanie. Just like Carson. Taking my rightful seat next to Pete. <laughs> so overall, you're bullish, and yet you're saying that the markets could pull back a little bit more from here. It, it, exactly, Melissa. And how so, much more would that be, in your view? It's and one of those things. It? So let's identify where you want to buy instead of how much it could be. I mean, we saw in, in January, at the end of January, nobody expected a 12% move in about four days. So it can happen very quickly because of the structure of the marketplace. Where do you want to actually get more aggressive on the buy side is our main messaging versus a quote-unquote level. And it's when you have more than 20, less than 20% of stocks trading above their 10-day moving average has been a good early, I don't want to say warning sign, but an early sign that you're about to bottom out and the market's getting washed out enough. And looking at that VIX that we had up on the screen, anything close to 20 is a pretty good short-term indicator as well. How far are we away from that? Five points away on the VIX, okay. and we're, I think, about five to six points away. Actually, no, about 10 points away on the percentage of stocks above the 10 dates in the 30s. Once you hit that signal and you're in it to buy, what do you buy? Are you just as aggressive as your past positions, or do you change Absolutely. the kinds of stocks that you buy? Absolutely. See, that's the thing that I think I really want to convey is people, when the market goes down, they tend to get cautious more as it goes down. When you're in a backdrop of, of fundamental earnings, a solid credit backdrop, even though the 10-year yields are rising, you still have money availability. The last thing you want to do is get really negative on a decline. So, Tony, are you worried about as we get in further into Q4, we obviously have Q3 earnings coming in earnest over the next couple of weeks, that a lot of, like, let's say, future growth is kind of priced in here. We're getting to valuation levels. We're getting to peak margins. We're getting to some of these things where what is the upside? You know, I mean, we had this breakout, but we're not maybe able to sustain it. What's the upside into 2019? The upside is the direction of earnings. So the rate of change of earnings doesn't correlate to anything over time uh, to the S&P price. The only thing that correlates most closely to the S&P 500 is the direction of earnings. And also, if I gave all of you a 25% raise... I'm that sure would be nice. That. We were waiting Thank for that. I love that time. It's all yours. I, I promise I'll pay you that. Anyway, if I gave you a 25% raise, would you spend it all in the first week? There's no way. You're going to hug it a little bit, get comfortable with you have more money in your bank account. I see Pete spending spend it right away. The S&P 500 just got a 25% raise. 25, 26% Q1. 
25% Q2, it'll likely be 25% Q3, and it'll be close to 20 to 22% Q4. That's a lot. That's real money. This isn't accounting game. Yeah, but, but you're saying that it is an accounting game because, you know, like oh, it's revenue. No, but, but, but listen, Cash. Apple has been paying 24 percent taxes for the last three years. So it's not the boon that, that a lot of investors think it is. And then you're talking about the rate I, I of change of EPS that. growth. It's already factored in at this point. It's 100 percent the boom everybody's talking about. You had a 10 percent increase in the top line growth rate because of the regular this year. But we don't taxes. see that expectation no, for no, next year in again, 2020. Again, the market correlates to the direction, not the rate of change. So you could have a correction around a slowing, which you know can happen at any time. The question isn't whether there can be a correction. I've, I've talked about this since the Fed started raising rates. You're coming in with higher volatility at times. There's not a question of whether it's going to correct. What do you do with it? And the only time that you want to sell a correction historically in the marketplace is when you have an identifiable recession in sight. That only comes after an inversion of the yield curve, a tightening of, of lending standards by banks, and increased strength, stress in interbank lending. None of those things are happening. And that's why I think it's so important to not make the mistake. I think it's going to go down a little bit more. Okay? Right. I, I said it in January. Um, it's, going to, it's going to happen. I think it's an opportunity until you have those things I just mentioned in place. Tony, thanks. Good to see you. Tony Dwyer. Thanks for having me. Thank you, guys. Um, what did you do today, Karen? Uh, what I would said, be on your buy list? Covered. What's we, on my we... buy list? Uh, Alphabet is on my buy list. Got shellacked today. Mm -hmm. um, I'm long banks already. I'm pretty long banks already, so I probably wouldn't buy more. Uh, I mean, GM still on my buy list. What did you do today, Pete? Well, I did buy XLF today, and, and yes. I did because yeah, of some right. options activity that we saw in there, and I, so I did add to the banks. I'll tell you what I like. When, I, when you get these kind of spikes of volatility that Tony's talking about, they've gotten shorter and shorter and shorter, Mel. If you go over the last year, the expansion time of how long they last where they, they remain above the 13 level, I want to use that volatility right now in names that I want to hold on to. So in a Microsoft, in an Apple, whatever it might be, implied volatilities are, are rising. They're now I can calls. sell upside calls against those positions. That's what I'm trying to do most. I, I got to tell you, I, I just can't disagree more with like the buy list thing. We're seeing some of the most cyclical groups in the market acting like death. We're seeing home builders act like death. We're seeing autos act like death. We're seeing banks really underperform. We're seeing semiconductors that just turned. We just started to see but retail is, turn here. That's the same story we've had for the last year. Home builders have been okay. death for a long time. So have autos. So have <laughs> semis. Semis okay. peaked in June. Okay. So I mean, I don't. I, I mean, okay. you may have been right back then, but I don't know. If, if you're making a list so on where's stuff, the leadership come? Well, I, I would prefer to actually take your side and point out something different and why I might actually agree with you. But I, I, I agree with it more that stuff that I want to find a place to buy is proving to me it's not time. So you've made fresh new lows, relative lows on emerging markets to the S&P. You're now at eight year lows on EM to the S&P. You're at Germany underperforming the U.S. Tim, the only reason why the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq are up this year at this point in time is because of six stocks that make up a disproportionate amount of the weight. So what I'm saying is there's bear markets going on all over the place and no one's paying attention to it because of the MAGA, you know, the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google and the Amazon. Yeah. When you say that, it really throws me off. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have to admit, like it really throws me yeah. off. I'm just saying. But it sounds well, almost like you guys actually well, do have more things in common. Yeah, than we just not. don't Pete's, like but, each other. But, right, <laughs> to, be exactly. clear, to be clear, Pete's talking about making a list or there is a place to make a list for good companies. Tony's yeah. making a list and that's been proven to be the right strategy. I would say that you see major sector rotation and I'm not, you know, financials have kind of gone nowhere for a long time. Home builders have been a bad trade for, for, for a year. 
um, as have autos. Yeah. So, but I think you've been rewarded by picking out sectors. Consumer discretionary, I don't think, is rolling over with the consumer where they are right now. All right. Coming up, check out shares of Costco falling after hours. Could the big box breakout be coming unpacked? We will explain. Plus, TD Ameritrade goes full crypto. The retail brokerage firm is backing a new crypto exchange. Steve Quirk of TD will be here to explain what it all means. And later, the FANG fallout continues. But Pete Nigerian says there's one name that is a buy right now. He will give us that trade. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a Bitcoin alert. TD Ameritrade going full crypto with a new investment. Bob Bassani is at the New York Stock Exchange with the details. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. TD Ameritrade was one of the first firms to offer approved clients access to Bitcoin futures. Now they're getting deeper into the crypto business. The firm announced on Wednesday it's making an investment in an exchange and clearing organization that will include digital asset futures and spot contracts on one platform. The firm known as Eris X offers both Bitcoin, spot, and futures trading, but will also support trading in Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, and in Litecoin. High-speed trading company Virtu will also back the crypto exchange. Now, here's what's important. Remember, Bitcoin is down 50% this year. And while trading interest is not as high as it was a year ago, it's surprisingly strong nonetheless. Ameritrade tells me that trades for the crypto ecosystem of equities, options, and Bitcoin futures are just under 5% of Ameritrade's total daily trades. Now, that's down from about 10% in some previous quarters, but that is surprisingly healthy. I'm surprised it's 5%. One final point, by the way, Erisex is not yet functional. It's awaiting final regulatory approval and will likely launch sometime next year. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob. Thanks, Bob Pisani. For more on this, let's bring in TD Ameritrade's Executive Vice President of Trading and Education, Steve Quirk. Steve, great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Melissa. I um, really appreciate it. So this is going to launch sometime next year. How seamless, if you're a TD Ameritrade customer, is this mm -hmm. going to be a seamless experience if, if I have an account and I want to trade uh, Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin Futures? Yeah, that's, that's, that's where we're working toward. That's what we're working toward. Um, I think the appeal for us is, and Bob brought it up, you know, you have, uh, I would argue, the biggest players in the Bitcoin space from a market-making side, both DRW and, um, and Virtu here. And you also have a, part, a CBOE here in a partnership along with Next. So um, you have people that are very well-versed in this space. And what we're bringing to the table as a strategic investor and an advisor is a pretty deep understanding of our 11 million plus retail clients and uh, an understanding of what they look for when it comes to a product. So as, as Bob said, they've been licensed since 2010 as a regulated entity. Um, they're in the process of becoming licensed as a clearing entity as well, which will permit them to be able to actually custody uh, mm -hmm. the, so we can have physical delivery on the futures products. 
So obviously this is you're you're taking a longer look out because this won't even be up and running for the next year or so. So what does that future hold? What does what does the trading environment look do you think like in a year? And is this really in preparation for the potential launch of, of Bitcoin ETFs? Yeah, I think I think the whole ecosystem, as Bob said, is, you know, it has its ups and downs in terms of volumes. As he said, you know, it, at uh, previous quarter, it was 10% of our volumes. And remember, our volume is about 750 to a million shares. So we're talking about some, um, some pretty big numbers with respect to the amount of trades that we're seeing there. Um, but it, you know, it ebbs and flows along with the price of the cryptos as well. Um, what I think it means going forward is what clients really want is they want access to these markets, but they want them in a regulated manner. So this would be a regulated ex exchange from head to toe, regulated clearing, regulated exchange, regulated products. And I think that's what clients, our clients are looking for is access to that. And they want to do it all within their TD Ameritrade account where they have access to all the other asset classes that they trade today. How much do you think a trade will cost, Steve? It'll be the exact same. We'll have the same, um, the same way we rolled out Bitcoin futures. They'd be priced identical to other futures. Okay. Steve, thanks for joining us. Appreciate thanks it. Thanks for Steve having Park me. Of TD Ameritrade. Pete, what do you make of this? Well, you know, I think it's really interesting, and I, I like the kind of conservative approach that TD is making to this whole thing because they're jumping in, but they're not jumping in right this second. They're actually going to build this thing out. And I think he mentions access, and he talks about regulation. Those are so important because people need that. There needs to be some sort of uh, educational process as well. So I think TD is really approaching this the right way. I would be worried if I were Coinbase. I mean, if this well, is truly going to be eventually a seamless experience for people who already have TD Ameritrade accounts, that's a lot easier than yes. setting up the Coinbase, uh, transferring yes. the funds, et cetera, et cetera. I, you know, I'm not sure, like, you know, listen, I think Coinbase would tell you that they're happy to have, like, well-heeled competitors sure, like yeah. this, okay? When I see a move like this, I see them um, offering access to what could be an asset class in the future, and that could be security tokens, right? It could be a way that companies now issue equity in a regulated manner, and they need a platform in which to do it. It's going to look kind of like equity, but kind of different, and they want to be there. And to them, I suspect it's a uh, fundamental hedge against their existing business. All right. For more on TD's big jump into crypto, you can head over to CNBC.com for more. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Tesla down around 3% in the after-hour session. This following a tweet from CEO Elon Musk, which seemed to troll the SEC. The tweet said, quote, just want to say that the short seller enrichment commission is doing incredible work and the name change is so on point. This, of course, after wow. Musk made an agreement with the SEC to settle fraud charges over the now infamous funding secure tweet about taking the company private. The stock is now down around 10% over the past week. 
Karen. It's just absurd. It's, it doesn't seem to troll. It actually trolls. And as we were talking about a little before the show, this settlement has yet to be approved. I think it was the October 11th mm -hmm. for it to be approved. So clearly the board has control of Elon and he's yeah, chastened very much he's by this. Yeah, yeah he's doing this very is absurd. Well. <laughs> this is absolutely absurd. I don't know how the board or his lawyers can allow this. Clearly they're not in control. They also need to find two new directors and a chairman. It's going to be hard to, be, to find a really quality person who's going to have to put up with this kind of thing. It's a, I mean, it's a fantastic company in that, you know, it's an extraordinary product. But this kind of corporate governance, it's horrific. It's, it's interesting because if you take a look at the chain of tweets after he tweeted that initial one, uh, one, one person actually said, amazingly, to Elon Musk, amazingly, you two seem to be working against us longs. And he wrote back immediately, hang in there. If you are truly long term, it will be fine. And, and again, why what? the need to engage in any conversation with really nobody on Twitter, with all due respect to whoever that great person was? And, and, and also, the reference to the short sellers, once again, it goes back to, you know, we, we had... Uh, um, our friend Jim, the New York Times reporter. Oh, Stuart. 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 Jim Stewart. Jim, Jim, Sorry, Jim. 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 Looks Stewart. like Jim Stewart, actually. Yeah. Yeah. He, he said over and over, <laughs> motive, motive, motive. And when you think about this attack on short sellers, I mean, ultimately, that was really his point. And, and so to continue to bring this up, it's just, it, it, nothing's been put in the rearview mirror. I don't, yeah. I, I don't think anything's going to come from this tweet from, from us, frankly, but it does indicate it's, what you said, Karen. It's shocking, though. Doesn't he have anything better to do? They're in production hell, delivery hell now. They're uh, the, uh, the second Although stage Although they're of delivering, hell. supposedly, right? So, I mean, so. Yeah, I mean, the he's got a lot solid, to do, right? though. He's a busy right. guy, right? The ranks, guy. the upper Sleeping ranks the are kind of thin. This is absurd. Why does he waste his time on Twitter? It's ridiculous. Let's say you are a believer in Tesla. <laughs> is this a reason why you should rethink your position? It's a reason to absolutely at least reconsider how, how comfortable you are with your position. I'm not saying that somebody who's long wants to completely get out. But it seemed like they'd, it, they'd gotten out of the doghouse, and then Elon's just jumped right back in. And because of a lot of what we're seeing now, we're seeing the pressure getting put back on the stock. So as a guy who owns some calls to the upside, I can almost predict okay. now that they're not going to work. But uh, that, that's okay. I knew, I knew the risks going in because I was a believer, and then all of a sudden you start to see what's going on in this, these twigs. I, I would think that the thing that is concerning to investors is even if you are, let's say you are a believer in Tesla, let's say you believe in the fundamental picture, let's yeah. say you believe that they will deliver cars, et cetera, et cetera, this is a corporate governance issue. Well, this is the behavior of the CEO. It's, so, there, so the question it's two is, separate things, but that may be right. a reason to not own the stock. So how many yeah. strikes are you going to give him, right? And we've yeah. got to go back to Travis Kalanick, who's kicked out of, from his board, a much bigger market cap, they've raised more capital than... than um, than uh, these guys have in the public markets. And then here's the most important point that we don't talk about anymore. Um, you remember when they were burning all that cash and they were going to have to raise cash yeah. and some people were calling they for still this are. company? Yeah. Right. They still right. Are. And so we're actually seeing, you know, rates go up. We're seeing credit conditions change. We're seeing high yield have a little stress. So this, we're not far off from having a little cash crisis in this name. And he can divert as much attention as he wants. But if we get into a tighter credit market, it's going to be kind of interesting. Do you think that the company's ability to access capital at this point has dramatically changed, though? I mean, if they, if they went out mm -hmm. and had to raise money or wanted to raise money, let's say they want to raise money. Right. They absolutely could. I don't know the yeah. terms now. You know, if they did expensive. a convert, it would uh -huh. absolutely be more expensive. Plus, you have you have the question mark. Is, is he going to be there for sure? Right? <laughs> so it's going to be a lot more expensive. Nevertheless, I think they should do it. Anyway. And Ron Barron the other day was on Squawk talking about this, and he seems like he's not shaken at all. Now, that's yeah. previous to these most recent tweets that are just happening. So 
maybe at some point when you if you ever lose somebody like that who's a significant investor in in something like Tesla likes it believes in it and thinks that there's you think fundamentals a guy who was invested in I don't know even what what level he was invested in $50 $100 you think that he abandons the stock at this point well that that's the interesting part and then there's the there's the pressure out of the stock and somebody but if you own a stock if you own a stock at $50 your mark to market is you own the stock at a current right. level it doesn't matter anymore yeah. I mean if you're an investor if it goes down today you already took credit for that so it's a public investment it's not a private company so uh, he should care I mean every day he goes home along that stock it's mark to market that day so all right, coming up, Costco lower in the after-hour session. The company conference call is underway. We will tell you what is driving the stock and get instant reaction from Wall Street analysts. Plus, Chipotle is sizzling today as the rest of the market fizzles. One of the tra- traders says the rally is about to get even hotter. Find out what has them so bullish when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Nasdaq under pressure, falling about 2% in today's sell-off. And the FANG stocks in particular continue their fall from grace. The whole group, in fact, getting hit today, drifting further from their recent highs. For more on the FANG trade unraveling, let's send it over to Dom Chu in the newsroom. Hey, Dom. Well, Melissa, leadership to the upside so far this year is looking pretty darn similar to the downside leaders as of late. And some of those big leaders are now, of course, the big laggards. The FANG stocks are among some of the hardest hit given the new sector elements within the S&P last month. That means pretty much a mix of communication services and consumer discretionary stocks as opposed to the tech and discretionary ones that we've kind of known to expect. None of these names, by the way, have hit a new high within the last month. So we're going to take them in acronym order, F-A-N-G. Facebook shares are now down by around 2.5% today. They are down around 27% since their high back on July 25th. Amazon shares down by around a similar amount today, and they're off a little less dramatic 7% since their record highs back on September 4th. Netflix down by over 3% today, down by 14% since its highs back on June 21st. And then there's Google parent company Alphabet, which has lost nearly 3% today, and it's down by around 9% or so since its high back on July 27th. Now, of the FANG stocks, the only one that has been a negative force so far year to date. It's around 10% or so to the downside is Facebook. That's its particular downside move. Now, leadership within the FANG stocks isn't absolutely necessary to a resumption of the market rally, Melissa, but some traders are looking at the group as a barometer of risk appetite with stocks not too far below these record high levels. Back over to you. Dom, thanks. Dom, to you in the newsroom. So given the weakness in the names, we thought it would be a perfect time to play Trade It or Fade It. Oh, <laughs> this is an easy one. It is. I'm not Thank even, goodness. I mean, uh, since Guy is not here, well, he's not going to do the game. We can raise our game a little play bit. The game thing. Okay, so let's just go <laughs> right. straight to the game. He will kick it off with you. Good luck. Alphabet, Trade It or Fade It. I'm going to trade it. I love this name. When you look at the accelerated revenue growth that you've got out of this name and you look at the cloud and the devices, you see the growth there. Now it's 14 percent. There's a lot of reasons to like it. YouTube on top of everything else. I think this is a name that's been undervalued for a long time. I think there's upside. I'm a trader. Why do you think it's lag, though, Pete? Because I, I like the name, too. Great I think question. it's cheap, and I'm concerned about regulation. There's, th- no, there's no question yeah. they're going to they're get more regulation than less. I don't know. Karen might have a better answer than this, but I, I actually believe when I'm looking at this company, people are looking for that huge bang for their buck. I don't know that Google gives them that. I think Google has matured now into, when you look at the FANG names, it's the most mature of those names. And because of that, I think people aren't as excited about what they see upside as a Facebook, as some of the other names, Netflix. But do you think there's as much upside? I do. I I look at. Do you think there's as much regulatory risk? I think the regulatory risk is something that has to be thought of, uh, obviously. They're spending a lot of money, though. This is a company that's getting huge. They're the leader in AI. So there's a lot of different reasons, I think. There are so many different verticals right now, I think, working for Google. 
I think this is a name like Apple where it's slower, but I think it goes higher. All right, Tim, this one's for you. All right, oh, okay, Amazon, trade it or fade it. the only FANG stock that is not in a correction, trade it or fade it. I'm going to trade it. And I think, I think when I look at Amazon, this is a company that also may have some regulation coming down its way. But so far, there's no one that's getting in their way. And right now, the market is willing to either pay for the multiple in the form of just top-line growth or, God forbid, they actually turn up the margins a little bit. And I think either way, the market is still ready to reward Amazon. The, the, the valuation has meant nothing in the last five years. I, I kind of agree, except the valuation <laughs> has been super high for a really long time. I don't think this market activity has any bearing on the Amazon story at all. I know it's out of favor, in favor, whatever. The there's trade war, of, higher rates, that what, kind of stuff, you're saying? Well, well they have no, hardly any debt, less than one times. So they're not exposed to higher rates. not exposed to higher rates way. at all. They did The wage thing, I actually think, will end up being a positive for them. So if, the, if you love Amazon, this sell-off is a good opportunity. I just, you know, it's too expensive for me. All right. Let's go to Netflix and Dan, trade it or fade it. This is the one that's not in your MAGA. Come on, Dan. Well, Otherwise, it's, it's it'd be MAGA. It's, 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 just, it's just kind of irrelevant. I mean, like, when it's you think irrelevant. about it from a market cap. That's, that's, that's not the way. <laughs> but this is why we came up with MAGA irrelevant. here. Because we, we, you say we. You mean you. I think you fade it. I think you fade it. Yeah. That was tough. That's it. Tough to get that out of I just think the competition. What do you think? She asked the questions here. I think that you, you see all this competition coming in there. Yeah, and, and so... It's a guy who doesn't have an answer. I, I, I just think, the listen. international growth aspect is not something that interests you right now. Of course it does. It costs more. It's lower ARPU. I mean, listen, can I just, I, can I just I think this one's already broken. This one's broken just like the Facebook. That's why they're out of fang. That's why we got MAGA here. I'm going to articulate this for Dan, because what he meant to say is that actually Netflix has huge competition, whether it's Hulu, whether it's some of the other online uh, you know, streaming services that are coming through. Valuation is absurd. This stock also is so over-owned that at this point, I think any turnaround in the positioning is very negative for the stock. I think it's 310 by the end of the year. What he said. <laughs> this is like a little You're brotherly really moment here. It's very. Yeah, we, you know, we're going to hug this one out. Warms the cockles of my heart here. Now, all right. Facebook. This one's for Karen. Traded or faded? Well, I'm long it, so that means traded, right? So whoever, whatever position you went out, I, I'm nervous though. I am nervous. So we have an event coming up, which is earnings. We have uh, first we'll see we'll see Alphabet's earnings, which I think will have some relevance to how Facebook trades. But October 30th. Well, if if, if Alphabet's earnings aren't good. That's going to be bad for Facebook. What, what, is the most, what will be the most concerning thing when the conference call is going on? What are you nervously awaiting in terms of what they're going to talk about? Is it the spend on Or can I ask security? a question? Because I, mean, I know this is your show to ask questions. Please ask the question. Well, I just asked the question. <laughs> Did you have to even we didn't get an answer yet. What good can they tell you on that call um, that they didn't? Because oh, I, I, I think you're crazy. You? Well, well, I disagree. Revenue I mean, growth. I mean, you, let's say they get very big Instagram revenue growth. I, I, that's a huge one. Are you well, worried I, about spending? Am I worried about spending? Yes, that's the whole reason that it's here. Not the whole reason, much Big of the reason, reason that it's here. Yes, spending and margin. But yeah. if revenue growth cures a lot of ills. I own the stock as yeah. well, and so I'm with Karen on this. And the spend, we, that, that I think is why we see where the stock is for the most part. Obviously, there are other issues as well. I would like to see them actually start to show sooner or later a better monetization uh, strategy of with a lot of the other WhatsApp, verticals they've got. Graham, of All of them, yeah. I'd like to see. But we haven't seen any fall off in the ad spend yet. And I, I would acknowledge that. And, you know, from what I'm hearing also, you've got ad week going on right now. There are folks that are saying third and fourth quarter channel checks already indicate there's a little bit of softness out there. But 
That's the thing with the stock. The stock's had this move, and you've seen no impact in terms of the confidence in the company, and that should be scary to people because, again, the headlines on this company aren't going to get better. They're going to get worse. Still ahead, let's get a check on our Kramer cam. There you see him, Jim, talking to the Chipotle CEO and CFO, and they just said something about millennials that could make you very bullish, the stock. We'll bring you the comments. Plus, e-cigarette maker Juul getting burned this week as the FDA cracks down on the company. Could your smoking stocks be next? Or we'll explain much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Chipotle bucking the trend after KeyBank initiated the stock with a bullish overweight rating and set a $500 price target. Our very own Jim Cramer sat down with Chipotle's CEO in an interview today. Let's take a listen. The purpose of Chipotle doing, you know, uh, food with integrity and the mission of cultivating a better world, it never stopped resonating with millennials and Gen Z. And, you know, a lot of our employees, uh, I think 50, 60 percent of our employees are millennials and Gen Z. And not surprising, we way over index with young people as customers. They just believe in the purpose. They love the food. Uh, and then, you know, the strategies that we're implementing around how we're going to turn around Chipotle, I think the more visible we're on those purpose you know, the more connected and engaged we'll be with those young people. What do we think about Chipotle now, Tim? I think Brian Knuckles done a great job of turning the, the sentiment tide. The stock's had a major rally off the bottom. I think it's had a nice pullback. In fact, I look at the level around 430. If the stock doesn't hold it, I actually think he can go quickly down to 330, at least on the charts. The valuation's not cheap at all. Um, and I think they have pressure in terms of labor costs, in terms of food input costs, and I don't think you need to run there now. It's not cheap. If we see cracks in the consumer, rising rates... Uh, rising oil prices, et cetera. Do we see cracks in Chipotle? Well, I think to Tim's point, the, the wage pressure... That's going to be big. ...is big for them. Yeah. 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 Pete? The wage pressure, absolutely. But, you know, it seems to me like the millennials are always the, that, that group that has that ability... That, spend, that, in, that income that guys like you right? have that can spend. And I'll tell you what, this guy's done an absolutely magnificent <laughs> job, but you're right. When you look at the PE levels right now and you compare them to anybody else in this space... They are it's not about high. PE. I mean, really, at this point, okay, so peak earnings before they had their, the, whatever, the Ebola issue was like 15 bucks. <laughs> so they're expected to do eight and a half dollars in earnings. He's exaggerating. It's it not Ebola. Not it's Ebola. Exactly whatever. Whatever. I don't, don't want to get any sort of, you know, I like Ebola. I'll go in there and have a Let's go. All right, but no, but what I'm saying is that, you know, you're expected to get eight and a half dollars in earnings. Maybe they get back to peak in a couple years. They're still growing sales at like high single digits, and you want to be over-indexed to my group of people. Which is... I don't know. Millennials? The guys who like burritos. Burrito lovers. For the whole interview and much more, be sure to check out Mad Money with Jim Cramer at the top of the hour. Still ahead, big tobacco getting burned this year as many of the stocks go up in smoke. Is there more pain ahead for the group? Tim Seymour will break it down. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Much more fast. Still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Big tobacco getting burned this year as e-cigarette maker Juul puts out their profits. But now the FDA is cracking down on Juul and Juul is cracking down on copycats. Our Aditi Roy is live in San Francisco with all the details. Hi, Aditi. Hi there, Melissa. A lot to cover, and it all centers on this, the Juul device. And today, the company is asking regulators to order 18 companies to stop selling lookalike versions of this. Let's look at some of those copycats. The companies filed a complaint with the U.S. International Trade Commission, alleging these companies, quote, blatantly emulated the distinctive design of Juul's system. Juul wants the agency to stop the products from being imported, distributed, sold, and marketed in the U.S. Juul itself, of course, is a target in the FDA's 
state's crackdown over teen use of vaping devices, and that could benefit big tobacco companies. Here's why. Juul's runaway success appears to be cutting into sales of traditional cigarettes. Piper Jaffrey points to a Juul survey, which looked at 19,000 Juul users and found 62% were smokers when they started using the vaping device, and about two-thirds of them quit after moving to Jeweling. And here's the one-year stock chart of tobacco companies. Shares of those companies are down between 15 and 27 percent in the last 12 months since Juul's rise. But since the FDA's investigation into e-cigarette makers, the stocks have either rebounded or seen their sell-offs slow down. Analysts say many of those companies are also talking about vaping more on earnings calls often. And keep in mind, some of these big tobacco companies have come out with their own vaping devices, which have also been targeted by the FDA. But they have less to lose in a regulatory crackdown because analysts say margins of traditional cigarettes are much higher. Those companies are basically making all of their money in cigarettes. And with Juul owning about three-quarters of the e-cigarette market, the company has more at stake with increasing government scrutiny. Melissa, back to you. Aditi, Juul is a private company, correct? Mm -hmm. and, and I assume that yes. it has backers, VC backers. I mean, is there any talk about mm -hmm. what this does to, this, uh, to the valuation, what it had been in the past and what it might be now? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we, uh, a little while ago, reached out to all the investors. I mean, no one wanted to talk to us. Uh, I, I talked to one person off the record who didn't, it didn't seem like it was going to be really changing the way they're looking at it financially. There's a $16 billion company, um, you know, obviously doing really well, has three quarters of market share. Uh, I think they're just seeing, having like a wait and see attitude towards it and see what comes out. Looks like the FDA might come out with uh, more of their findings next month. All right. Aditi, thank you. Aditi Roy in San Francisco. So what does the smoking crackdown mean for big tobacco? How will it impact the cannabis industry? Our Tim Seymour's over at the plasma to break it down. Is this a good time to for me to mention that Tim is also in the space. He's uh, long a number of names, sits on advisory boards for three cannabis stocks. For all of Tim's disclosures, go to fast.cnbc.com. All right, Tim, over okay. to you. Okay, so look, what's this mean for big tobacco? And then we'll get into the cannabis angle. But bottom line is, sir, the vaping company, Juul, as talked about by Aditi, 75% of the market, they've been destroying the incumbents. And actually, this is probably good news in the short run for the incumbents. This has actually been a big hurdle for them. The e-cigs is still something, I think, ultimately, for tobacco companies, this is about the move into science and technology, obviously getting people off. And again, for the, 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 the miners, really, adults are using vapes to get off of smoking, or at least to decrease their dependence. And miners, in many cases, are trying it for the first time. So that's the issue. It's a compliance issue. It's potentially high stakes for the cannabis industry. But the issue, to me, is not about the underlying. It's about the delivery mechanism. And then it's ultimately about really compliance on a retail and a distribution level. If you think about it, the cannabis industry, to me, has been coming at this, and basically with the FDA, uh, this is a story where I actually believe cannabis players have been uber compliant sensitive, and they come out of the environment where they've had to be uh, ultra compliant. They've been watched. And if you think about the, the states that are legal right now, you've got to go into a dispensary, you've got to show ID, whereas if you're going to buy a vape pen and you're a minor, you can go into the corner deli, and I think you can pretty much do what you want. So so I, as much as I think the headlines will come out for cannabis on this, because clearly vaping is one mechanism for ingesting, I actually think it's really uh, ultimately going to be proven to be an issue of compliance. It's going to be an issue that comes down to how the distribution channels handle it. And I think the dispensaries are doing a pretty good job. Hey, Tim, I got a quick question for you in terms of minors and the ability for them to be in the vaping world. What, what do you see going around the country? Is that something that is accepted everywhere? Or I, I know personally that it looks like in certain states, Maybe that age level is a little bit different. Is that something that concerns you at all? 
again, every state is a little bit different. But to be clear, I think the FDA is right to be targeting this adolescent and essentially the, the high school smoking is, as Aditi pointed out, you're up almost 75 percent year over year in terms of those that are actually using uh, it, nicotine and, and becoming addicted to nicotine at a young age, which they say actually is an impact on the adolescent brain development, et cetera, et cetera. So good for the FDA. Um, I think compliance is really coming down to how do you control that and how do you control minors buying anything that they cannot buy? And, and therefore, while it makes sense that people would then say, hey, vape pens, cannabis, oh, yeah, they go together. Wow, big problem. I actually think that the FDA has been much more thoughtful. Look at last week and how Scott Gottlieb handled the whole FDA approach to CBD and you know, giving a, a essentially a five rating to Epidiolex. And I just think that the FDA is actually looking at this not to put these companies out of business, but to see who is compliant. All right. Um, let's talk about the trade here in terms of the tobacco stocks, uh, Dan. Is this really a hurdle for them or th- well, could this actually be a good thing if vaping is sort of put at bay and their core business is yeah. protected. It could be because they have the brands also. You know, look at a, a PM, uh, Philip, Philip Morris International has got a 5.5% dividend yield, trades below a market multiple. Obviously, it's a sin stock, so a lot of people don't want to get near this stuff, but it's, out, it's down dramatically, right, from its highs earlier in the year. This is a cheap stock. If you're just looking at it from that standpoint, if you think that the jewels is going to be beneficial in the near term, this probably looks like it's kind of bottomed a little bit. So to me, this one looks kind of interesting. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn, Pete. Like IBM, there was actually a downgrade today. I think that creates a little bit of an opportunity. Stock's been moving to the upside. I think right now is the time to buy it because I think the company's actually moving the right direction. We'll see if the CEO can deliver. Karen Feinerman. Yes, CBS, which I have liked for a while, but an interesting little tick up in uh, football viewing. So sports, good for CBS. Like it right here. Dan, yeah, you know, Tim had a lot to say for me about Netflix earlier in that other side. I'll just say this. That they're going to report they're one of the first big cap techs to report. Big. If they miss subs again two quarters in a row, I think this thing's going back towards the low from August. Was he a good uh, spokesperson <laughs> on your behalf? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. There, there are nights when I need to do all the talking for Dan. And we know. <laughs> and other people. Man, I do what we can. Yeah. 42. So, look, cigarette stocks, here's what I would talk about. Bottom line here is you actually have seen these have a major sell-off, and I think in the defensive 49. rotation, CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 